I enjoyed my vacation so much. I want to make a career out of it. Amen. I, I just got to figure out a way how to make a career out of it. It was awesome. It was incredible. My wife and I, we were in seven states and 2,650 miles uh, in about 14 days. And sometimes, you know, spend a lot of time in a state, other times just kind of, you know, hey, we're close, let's drive by so we can say we went through that state. And, but just a great, great time uh, of, of refreshing, of, of being together, of just uh, getting away. How many know sometimes we need to just get away? And uh, even Jesus would come apart, amen? He'd go to the mountain or he'd go to the wilderness and uh, just spend some time alone and getting, uh, and getting away. So we... Uh, Certainly had a great time. Appreciate the opportunity that we had uh, to go. And uh, appreciate those that kept the, the wheels uh, rolling along here at New Bethel the last couple of weeks while we were away. Certainly appreciate those that filled the pulpit for me this uh, past couple of weeks. Pastor Steve did an outstanding job. Didn't he do a great job? Amen. Pastor Roger, last Sunday, amen, they did, yeah, did an awesome and incredible job, And uh, but if you guys ever want to preach again, don't do quite so good, don't do quite so good, because I want people to be glad when I get back, amen. But anyway, thank you so much, thank you Pastor Braden for, uh, and Pastor Steve, and Pastor Houston for keeping the everyday uh, uh, wheels turning at New Bethel. We certainly appreciate uh, all of our staff and Pastor Pam and all that make up this staff. It's not a one-man band. It takes all of us to do it, and uh, we are blessed. And thank you for your support while we were away. Well, we are in the middle of a campaign that we are calling I Love My Church. Now, I understand this morning that this is a campaign, but to me it is much, much more than just a campaign. It is a fact. I love my church. Pastor, is this church perfect? No. Is this church problem-free? Absolutely not. Is there room for improvement? Yes, there is. And yet the fact remains, I love my church. In my introductory message to this campaign, I used an acrostic of the word church to describe why I love my church. And for the C in the word church in this acrostic that we made, I, I said I love my church because, because Christ loved my church. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 says that Christ loved the church enough that he was willing to die for the church. You know, some saints don't even love their church enough to endure anything for their church. As soon as some little minute thing happens that doesn't fit their fancy, off they go to another church. Listen, if the Lord loved the church enough that he was willing to die for it, then surely I ought to love my church enough to endure its imperfections. For the H in the church, uh, uh, in the word church in our acrostic, I said, I love my church because it is a happening church. New Bethel is a happening church. It's a church of vision. How uh, we are growing and moving forward and we have set our sights high. For the letter U in the word church of our acrostic, I said, I love my church because it is an uncompromising church. How many understand the truth is still preached at New Bethel? Amen. We do not offer church light here. We don't water down. We don't sugarcoat. We don't present a politically correct message. Jesus said the truth will set you free. 
for the R in the word church. I, I said, I love my church because it is a racially diverse church. Amen. Look around you this morning, and especially if you'll come to the second service, you'll find that New Bethel is not a good old boys club for white people. Oh, no, all colors and creeds and nationalities are welcomed and loved and embraced at New Bethel. For the second C in the letter church in my acrostic of the word church, I said, I love my church because it is changeable. It is changeable. We're, we're certainly not willing to change our message, but we are willing to change our methods. I said we are willing to change our methods. Now I understand that a few of our members come along kicking and screaming the whole way, but the truth of the matter is they still come. In fact, I want to start hanging out with Brother Rod. Amen. Because nobody criticizes around him. I want to start hanging around him. Amen. Amen. Oh, how many understand that pastoring a church these days is extremely difficult? I've been pastoring now for 38 years. My wife says, don't say that. It makes you sound too old. But the truth of the matter is, I've been pastoring for 38 years. I want to tell you, pastoring today is nothing like it was 38 years ago. 38 years ago, everybody loved the man of God. Every 38 years ago, everybody honored and respected and revered the man of God. Not so today. Not so today. Amen. Pastoring a church is extremely difficult today. Just about every pastor that I talk to is going through some difficulty, going through some heartache, going through some uh, some terrible thing in, in their church, and many of the things are directed at them. Statistics tell us that 80% of pastors entering the ministry today will not finish the ministry. They will not finish in ministry. 80% of pastors will leave the ministry at some point in time in their ministerial Career. Now, I want to tell you this morning, I don't plan on being one of the 80%. But I also want you to know emphatically this morning that I refuse to pastor a church that is unwilling to change. I got out of the box a long, long time ago, and I am unwilling to get back in it. For the H in our acrostic of the word church, I said, I love my church because it is a harvesting church. Oh, New Bethel is much, much bigger than what you see gather here on Sunday morning. And thank God our church has tripled in the last seven years. Thank God before school was out, we were knocking on the door of 400, six out of eight times, uh, 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 six out of the eight Sundays before summer, uh, we were at 380 or so knocking on the door of 400. God is blessing New Bethel. I'm thankful for what we see here at New Bethel. But listen, New Bethel is much bigger than what you see gather on Sunday morning. Through our missions efforts, the fingerprints of New Bethel can be seen all around the world. Thousands, uh, literally thousands of people. And the day will come when it will be millions of people whose lives have been impacted. People that, uh, amen, are not going to hell, but they are going to heaven because of the missions efforts of New Bethel. I don't know about you this morning, but I love my church. Well, the first message of this, this campaign was about why I love my church. The remaining messages in this campaign are about because I love my church. Because I love my church. Pastor Steve preached, because I love my church, I will be the church. Pastor Roger preached, because I love my church, I will support my church. And the message that I have for us today is, because I love my church, I will serve my church. 
Now let me warn you this morning, maybe you might ought to buckle your seatbelts. I'm back. (laughs) The number one problem in the church today is the mentality of its members. I said the number one problem in the church today is the mentality of its members. When I say the church, now I'm talking about the entire body of Christ. I am talking about the church as a whole, and especially the American church. So if the, foot, if the shoe doesn't fit you this morning, you don't have to wear it. But the mentality of the American church today is the church is all about me. The church is supposed to serve me. That's the mentality of the American church. A few years ago, a man called the church and I talked to him and he said, Pastor, I'm looking for a new church. Me and my family, we're, we're changing churches and I'm looking for a new church. And he asked me, he said, what does your church have to offer me and my family? Well, I very nicely and very politely and calmly told him about all of the ministries and all of the opportunities uh, that were available for he and his family in the church. And then I said to him, sir, what do you have to offer the church? The mentality of the American church today is the church is to serve me. What do you have to offer me when the reality is we are supposed to be serving the church? Look with me in the book of Ephesians chapter number 4. I think this is about three Sundays that we've looked at this. Between me and Pastor Steve, I think it was. But let's look in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Most of you are just trusting me. I didn't hear any rustling of the pages. Glad that I'm still trusted this morning. Now these are the gifts. Say gifts. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. What are the gifts Christ gave the church? The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. They're gifts to the local church, the Word of God says. And their responsibility, say their responsibility. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work. What's the pastor's job to do all the work? To turn on all the lights and turn them off and flush all the commodes when everybody's gone and mow the yard and clean the church and do all the teaching and do all of the work of the church. Is that the pastor's job? No, the, the, the pastor and the staff, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Amen. Let me skip down to verse 16. It says that He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Listen, this morning the church was never designed to serve the saints. But the saints are called to serve the church. I love my church, and because I love my church, I am willing to serve my church. Let me give you six things this morning concerning servanthood. Six things we need to understand about servanthood. First of all, I want you to notice the command. First of all, the command. Did you know that the word servant or a form of the word servant is used over 1,000 times in the Bible? 
Uh, evidently, God wants to get our attention. Evidently, God is pretty concerned. Evidently, God, uh, this uh, uh, subject is kind of important to God. If he put it in, this, in his Bible 1,000 times. Psalm 100 verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Matthew 20 and 26, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Matthew 23 and 11, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 and 20, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you are not your own. You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. I think it's abundantly clear in Scripture, we are servants of the Lord. We're talking about servanthood this morning, and the command is clear in the Word of God. We are servants of the Most High God. The second thing I want us to notice about servanthood, I want us to talk a little bit about the comprehension. The comprehension. Do we really, I don't think we really understand servanthood. I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that gives us a clear picture of servanthood. And it's found in the book of St. Luke. Turn with me there. I want you to see this here in St. Luke chapter number 17. St. Luke chapter number 17 and verse 7 through 10. And Jesus is speaking there, and he said, Which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? Jesus said, How many of you would do that? Verse 8, he said, But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself, and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward? You may eat and drink. And Jesus asked the question, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? And Jesus said, I think not. So likewise you, say you. So likewise you, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say we. Say we. We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Wow, what a picture of servanthood. I want you to notice three things about the servant in these verses. First of all, I want you to notice that he has no rights. He has no rights. Let's, look, let's read verse 7 and 8 again. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once, sit down and eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward then you may eat and you may drink. The servant has worked for his master all day long. He is tired and he is weary and he is hungry and yet he is not allowed to come home and prop up his feet and expect somebody to serve him. But now he must prepare supper and wait upon his master. The servant doesn't have any rights at all. How many would like to have one of the other pastors back this morning? <laughs> Notice also here that he has no resources. Not only does he not have any rights, but he has no resources. Verse 7 and 8 again reveals to us that the land and the sheep belong to the master and do not belong to the servant. 
No matter how hard that the servant works for his masters, the resources are not his, nor will they ever be his. And then I want you to notice also the third thing, that he receives no recognition. He receives no recognition. Verse 9, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? Jesus said, I don't think so. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Servants don't receive plaques and trophies and awards for doing their work. They have simply done what their master expected of them to do. They merely did their duty. And Jesus said in verse number 10, in the very same way, when you obey all all that your master tells you and commands you to do, then you are simply to say, I'm an unworthy servant. I have simply done my duty. Because I love my church this morning, I'm willing to serve my church. And as a servant, I understand that I have no rights. If I'm truly and genuinely a servant this morning, then I I have no rights. I, I don't pick out the best seat in the house and set myself up as king of the house and dictate everything that ought to be done and ought not be done. I'm not king sitting there barking out orders and making commands and demanding things be done my way. But as a servant, amen, I don't have any rights. As a servant, I have no resources. I have no resources. What I have in my possession is not mine at all. People get mad. They get offended. They leave the church when the pastor says that we're, to give, we're supposed to give 10% of our income to God. Amen. But the reality of it is that it all belongs to God. Nothing is ours. If we are a servant, we don't have any resources. Everything we have belongs to our master. And when he tells us that he wants some of his stuff, who in the world are we, amen, to tell him no? Because everything that I have this morning, all of my resources, they're merely on loan to me from from my master. I have no resources. As a servant, I shouldn't expect any recognition. I said, as a true servant, I shouldn't expect any recognition. Why should I be recognized? Because I simply obeyed the command of my master. Did you know that people will leave their church sometimes because they didn't receive the recognition they felt they deserved because they did something for the church? Now hear me this morning clearly. I'm all about recognizing people. I'm all about showing appreciation to people. I'm all about thanking people for what they do for the church. I'm constantly writing thank you letters. I'm constantly writing letters of appreciation. I'm constantly texting somebody and thanking them. I'm constantly patting somebody on the back and telling them it's a good job. And you've done a good deed. And you've done something good and you are appreciated. Let me tell you, I'm all about showing appreciation in the church. I do it all the time time. But the reality is, as servants, we should not expect to be recognized. We shouldn't expect to be patted on the back. We shouldn't expect a plaque or a letter of appreciation. Uh, We ought to do what we do for the church simply out of the love that we have for our master. We ought to do what we do for the church simply out of obedience unto his commands. Jesus said in verse 10, when you followed all of God's commands, saying we are unprofitable or unworthy servants, we have simply done our duty.
Here's the real problem in the church today. Remember, when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the church universal. I'm talking about the entire body of Christ. I'm not just pounding on New Bethel this morning. I said it already. If the shoe doesn't fit, you don't have to wear it. But here's the real problem in the church world today. And the problem is that most churches today are enlisting volunteers. That's our problem. Is we are enlisting volunteers. Friend, we don't need volunteers. The church today needs servants. And there's a big difference. We don't need people to volunteer. We need people to serve. Notice the difference in a servant and a volunteer. A volunteer picks and chooses when, where, and how they're going to work. A servant serves no matter when, where, or how. Ooh, that's good. A A volunteer works when it's convenient. Yeah, I volunteer as long as it's between 2 and 2.15 on uh, Thursday afternoon. <laughs> Come on. Lighten up a little bit. Help me out a little bit this morning. A volunteer works when it's convenient. A servant stands ready at any time. A volunteer does what he wants to, when he wants to, and how he wants to do it. On the other hand, a servant does what he's told when he's told to do so, and how he's told to do so. A volunteer works if he constantly receives honor and appreciation and recognition. A servant works regardless of his treatment. The problem today is we're looking for volunteers. We don't need volunteers. We need people that will serve as servants of the Most High God. I love the story of the postmaster who... It was his job to go through undeliverable mail and, and he was going through it and one day he, he, he noticed a, a letter addressed to God. And so he decided I better open this one and see what this one's all about. He knew he was going to have a hard time delivering that one. So, so he opened the letter addressed to God and the letter was from an 85 year old widow who had just lost her purse. Or her purse had just been stolen. And all the money that she had to her name was in that purse, $100. That was every dime that she had. And so she wrote her letter to God and she told God, she said, this is all the money that I have. I will not receive any more money until my next Social Security check comes in at the first of the month. And I have no money for groceries and I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. Please help me, God. Please replace my $100. Well, the postmaster, seeing that it was from an elderly woman, he had compassion on her. And so he showed the letter around to several of the postal workers. And each one of these postal workers shipped in a few dollars. And they gathered up $96. So the postmaster took the $96 that were gathered up by all the employees that were there that day, placed them in an envelope and sent them to, sent this $96 to this little widow. 
A week later, uh, another letter arrives from this widow addressed to God. And so the postmaster opens the letter and reads the letter again. And the letter to God, this time the letter said, Dear God, thank you for sending me the money. I didn't know what I was going to do. Thank you for sending me money. And I know that you sent me $100, but only $96 was in the envelope. I bet the postal employee stole the money. Listen to me, saints. If you only work for God when you're appreciated and recognized for it, you're going to be disappointed. Because not only will someone fail to recognize what you have done, you might even be uh, accused of doing wrong when all in the world you were trying to do was trying to do something good. I'll leave that one alone. Servants do their work expecting nothing in return. We're talking about servanthood today. We've, we've talked about the command and the comprehension. Let's talk about number three. Let's talk about the conflict. The conflict, you see, to even think about being a servant today goes against the grain. Because Americans, we love to be served. Yeah, we love to be served. Bosses love to bark out orders to their employees. Serve me, they subconsciously say. When I was pastoring in Midland, I, I dabbled a little bit in real estate and I had some real, real, some rental properties and then I flipped some houses, bought some houses and, and remodeled them, having people do the work. I just bought them, hired people to do work, remodeling them and then selling them. And one day my wife said, the only reason why you're flipping those houses, she says, is because you just want more people to boss. She said, you love being the boss so much that you'll go out and develop more headaches and more problems. Amen. You'll go out and do something like buying a house and getting people to remodel just so you'll have somebody else to boss. (laughs) She knows me pretty good. Bosses love to give orders to their employees. Serve me, they subconsciously say. People love to go to a restaurant and sit down and have the waiter serve them. And even in church we have this, this I'm here now, so serve me mentality. For too many people when they think of a church service, they really mean serve us. Some of you will get that about next Tuesday. Let me show you just a little video this morning called Me Church. Me church. I know a few people think they're in that church, but I wouldn't say that. Amen. Come on. Give me a help a little bit this morning. Amen. How many understand this morning that church shouldn't be all about us, but we, oh, church ought to be all about Him. Let's look at the next thing about servanthood this morning. Let's look at the cost. You see, true servanthood comes with a high price tag attached to it. First of all, it will cost you your pride. In John chapter 13, we read of the account where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And we understand that this was the job of a hired servant. But evidently there was no servant there to provide this service. And not one of the disciples volunteered for this demeaning uh, task. And so Jesus, the Son of God, humbles Himself and performs the task 
of a servant. And in, when he's finished, Jesus says to the disciples in John 13 and 15, I have given you an example that you ought to do what I have done to you. What's that, Pastor? You, you need me to cut the grass? Uh, well, you don't understand. I'm an executive. I don't do manual labor. What's that, Pastor? Me change a dirty diaper in the nursery. Me teach a bunch of snot in those kids. Don't you know who I am? We're talking about the cost of servanthood this morning. First of all, it'll cost you your pride. Second of all, this morning, it will cost you your position. Jesus was a son of God. How many understand there's no higher position than being the son of God? And yet the Bible said that he laid aside his royal position. He grabbed a towel and a wash basin and he began to wash dirty feet. Story is told that during the Revolutionary War, a man dressed in civilian clothes happened by some soldiers who were doing manual labor. And one particular soldier was barking out orders to the rest of the soldiers. The man stopped and he inquired of the man barking out the orders. Why are you not helping the rest of the men? Sir, he said, I'm a corporal. I don't do the work of a private. The man dressed in civilian clothes took off his jacket, rolled up his sleeves and began to help the privates do their work. And after the work was done and he was riding away, it was later discovered that this man was none other than George Washington, who at the time just happened to be commander-in-chief of the army. Let me understand this morning that true servants are willing to forget about their position. Oh, that was the case with the Apostle Paul. He was head honcho of the early church. He was general superintendent. But notice the position that Paul claimed, Romans 1 and 1, he writes, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. In Titus 1 and 1, he writes, Paul, a servant of God and of Jesus Christ. James also held a high position in the early church. How did James see himself? James 1 and 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how about Peter, 2 Peter 1 and 1, Simon Peter, a servant of Jesus Christ. Talking about the cost this morning of servanthood. It'll cost you your pride. It'll cost you your position. The fifth thing I want us to look at this morning as we talk about servanthood. I want us to talk about the commitment. You see, true servants are committed to servanthood. Without a true commitment, you will not last as a servant. The only way that you can make a commitment to servanthood is to understand who you are truly serving. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 23, Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically and do it as something done for the Lord. Matthew 25 and 40, Jesus said, Whatever you do for the least of men, you've done it unto me. There was a very obnoxious man on a plane who was given the flight attendant fits. For the entire flight, he gave the flight attendant fits. There was a man that was sitting nearby and he was observing how obnoxious and rude and mean this man was being to the flight attendant. And when they were on the ground and they were on their way out, the man 
who had been observing how this man was treating the flight attendant, went to the flight attendant on the way out and said, I was, I was so impressed with the way that you treated that man that was so ugly and so mean and so obnoxious to you. He said, I just couldn't understand how in the world you could ever put up with that. And the flight attendant said, I don't work for American Airlines. I work for God. Let me tell you something, friend. If you work for people, if you teach a class for New Bethel, you won't make it very long. But if you'll do it to God, for God, if you'll do it for God, amen. A long, long time ago, I changed my employment status. I don't say this arrogantly, but listen, I don't work for you. I don't work for you. I didn't work for Harvest Time Church. I didn't work for First Assembly and Elks. I don't work for the church. I work for God. And let me tell you, if you're truly going to be a true servant of the Lord God, if you're going to be able to sustain a, a good attitude and a good heart, amen, if you're going to be able to do it with joy and with love, amen, you're going to have to decide, I'm not doing this for ungrateful people, but I'm doing this for my master. I'm doing this for the King of kings and for the Lord of lords. I don't work for you. I work for God. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me give you three things very quickly this morning about servanthood. First of all, serving is not always sensational. Serving is not always sensational. Oh, it's easy to serve when God calls us to an exciting and a fulfilling and a wonderful and a glorious task. But sometimes the task that God assigns us is less than sensational. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's mundane. Sometimes it's routine. Sometimes it's slow going. I've had the privilege of preaching one sermon and 20,000 people come to Christ at the altar call. And I have preached week after week after week after week. And not one person came to Christ. Let me tell you this morning that serving is not always sensational. It's not always bigger and better. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's routine. Sometimes it's hard. And the second thing, serving requires sacrifice. The servant is serving dinner while everybody else is eating dinner. Oh, the servant is working while everybody else is resting. The servant stands so that there's room enough for everybody else to sit. Serving requires sacrifice. Lauren Sanny, founder of the Navigator's Ministry, was once asked the question, How? How can you tell for sure whether or not you are a servant? Sanny wisely responded by how you react when somebody treats you like one. How do you react when somebody treats you like a servant? Do you get mad? Do you get puffed up? Do you pout? Do you quit or change churches or ministries? Do you remind them, don't you understand who I am? Do you tell everybody how you were mistreated? How do you know whether or not you're a servant? By how you react when somebody treats you 
like a servant. And the third thing this morning, serving must be sustained. Oh, a true servant serves when they feel like it, when they don't, when they want to and when they don't want to, when they're appreciated and recognized. Oh, and when they're taken for granted and even when they are unfairly treated. Servanthood requires a commitment. Without a genuine commitment, you're not going to last as a servant. Friend, in light of all that we have discovered today, why in the world would anybody want to be a servant? Because our Lord was a servant. Matthew 20 and 28, Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come in order to be served, but He came to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. John 15 and 20, Jesus said, A servant is not greater than his Lord. We serve Him because we want to be in obedience to our Master. We serve because we want to, we want to please our Master. That's why we serve. Musicians and singers could get back in place this morning. Let me finish with one last point. That is this morning the commendation. The commendation. You see, although a true servant serves with no thought of being recognized or rewarded, a true servant ought to serve expecting absolutely nothing in return. This being said, the day is coming, friend, for the true servants of God. Those that have been serving their Lord faithfully in this life. Oh, there's coming a day, there's coming a time, there's coming a place in heaven, in the eternal life to come, when these faithful servants are going to receive a commendation from the Master that they so faithfully deserve, uh, serve. They're going to hear Him say, Well done, you good and you faithful servant. You were faithful over a little bit. I'm going to make you ruler over a lot. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Jesus said in Revelation 22 and 12, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to every man according unto his work. I don't know about you this morning, but I love my church. And because I love my church, I'm going to serve my church. Pastor, how can I serve my church? Thanks for asking. By being faithful to attend its meetings. I mean, no, the servants ought to show up. By supporting it with my tithe and my offering. By getting personally involved in a ministry that fits my gifts and my talents and my abilities. By becoming a help and not a hindrance, an asset and not a liability. I love my church. Yes, it's a campaign. Yes, you're going to be sick of it if you're not already sick of it before we're done. It is a campaign. It's a slogan. Yes, it is. I hope it gets down in your heart and down in your spirit. But listen, this morning, it's more than a campaign. It's more than a clever slogan. Amen. I love my church. I love my wife. Sometimes I take her for granted. I love my church, my wife, but sometimes I take it for granted. Sometimes I forget how awesome and how incredible that she is. I see her every day. Amen. You know, I, we live together and it's easy, friend. It's easy in a marriage to take one another for granted. And sometimes you got to take a step back. And by the way, honey, you're looking really nice today. Amen. My wife's losing weight. 
on a diet. I've got it figured out about this time next year she'll be gone. I mean, she's just losing weight consistently. I'm teasing. She's looking great and awesome. She looked great and awesome before, but she's making her feel better and looking awesome. And cra- you know what? So often we just we take each other for granted. That's the way it is with the church. That's what it is with the church. We pick out one or two little minute things that we don't like about it and we get all up in the air about it and all been out of shape about it. Amen. If only we had looked at the, the good things and the awesome things and the incredible things, there's only one or two little bitty things maybe we don't like, but we concentrate on them. Or we just, like most people do, they just absolutely just, you know, they just expect it. It's the way it's been. Last Sunday was great and this Sunday's great. Next Sunday will be great. You know, just we just take it for granted. Amen. That's what this campaign is a little bit about. Not all about it, that it's about but part of it is about just taking a step backwards and taking a look around and saying hey you know what I do love my church and because I love my church I want to get involved in my church and because I love my church I want to protect my church amen hallelujah would you stand with me this morning everyone stand all over this building this morning